maybe one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible is when people will say money is the root of all evil because that's simply not what the Apostle Paul wrote. Instead, the Apostle Paul in writing to Timothy said, for the love of money is a root of all kinds or types of evil. Money is not good or bad. It's just money. Our view of money and our usage of money is what makes it either good or bad. And for some time, Tyler and I have been working on a series of lessons for the month of January on Sunday nights on the biblical concept of money. And I hope in the bulletin that you may have seen the last couple of weeks that the the overall title for this series is Beyond Giving. And the reason we gave it that title is because so often when we plan a sermon or even several sermons on the subject of money, that's all we ever talk about is that one subject of giving. But the Bible speaks to so much more than giving when it speaks to the subject of money. We're going to talk about giving in this series, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks. But the Bible covers so much more than just that one subject as it pertains to our money and our, and our possessions. In fact, the Bible speaks to basically every aspect through practical wisdom for what God has blessed us with. And we also thought that putting this lesson basically at the beginning of the year would be a good idea because of those New Year's resolutions and goals that people have, whether they're actually written down in state or just some things that maybe you have in your mind, and some have to do with personal finances. Maybe you want to pay down debt or get out of debt, or maybe you want to earn more, maybe you want to give more, save more. In principle, the Bible speaks to every one of those areas and more as it pertains to our finances. Now, sometimes it's easy for us to think about difficulties with money on a national or international level. We see the news and we hear these huge numbers that we can't even fathom about how our nation is in a difficult time in in money, trillions in debt and running billions in deficits quarter after quarter, and the news just seems to get worse all the time. It's easy for us just to, to be blown away by that. But if we take a few zeros off of it, it's also true of many of our own lives. Okay, if we take a lot of zeros off of it, it's true in, in our own lives in many ways. But this series of lessons is not meant in the least to cause shame. Because if you are old enough to have handled money, you have probably made a mistake with it. That's all there is to it. Each of us have made unwise decisions at some point in our life as it pertains to money and possessions. And our goal in these four lessons, beginning tonight, is simply to see what God has to say and to make very practical applications so that we can honor Him in even this area of our life. But first things first. In fact, that's the name of this first lesson. First things first. Before we start learning what Scripture says about earning and debt and saving and giving and all these other areas, we have to have our mindset right as it pertains to finances. Scripture always makes sure that we have our heart and our mind right before we begin making sure we're doing the right actions. It is one thing to do right things. It is another thing entirely to do the right things for the right reason, out of the right motivation. Humility, servanthood, and honoring God should be at the basis, the foundation of everything that we do, and that includes even the handling of finances. And so as we begin these series of lessons tonight, I want us to get first things first. And that is to understand the biblical principle that it's not mine anyway. And it's not yours anyway. 
We talk about my money and my house and my investments and all those things. And to a point, that is true. After all, those things are in our hands and we are making decisions about those things. But Scripture would have us to know that nothing is really mine at its deepest level. And if we can get that one concept firmly planted in our minds, then the rest of this series, and in fact anything else the Bible ever says on this matter, is going to fall far more easily into place. And to help us do that and understand that, tonight we're going to look at just two things. And they'll even overlap just a little bit. First, we're going to notice the biblical concept that it all belongs to God anyway. And then we're going to take a few moments to make application to see what a difference that should make in our lives. So in the first place tonight, just notice the simple fact that God owns it all. Over and over again, the Bible makes it clear that everything belongs to the Lord. Logically, we should be able to figure that out simply from the way the Bible begins, that God is the creator of everything. And if He created everything, then He alone has the right to speak over it, to rule over it, to lay claim to it. There is nothing that falls outside the realm of what God created. And so He has the right to lay claim over everything. And of course, Genesis 1 clearly speaks to the fact that God created it all by speaking it into existence. John chapter 1 clearly teaches us that Christ, the Word, was the agent through whom all that has been made was made. In other words, if it exists, God made it. But just in case we don't understand that from a logical reasoning basis, the Bible also specifically tells us that God owns everything. Turn to the book of Psalms. And in fact, we read Psalm 50 a few moments ago, or some of it anyway. And this may be the most famous place where you come across this concept. In the middle of that great poem of Psalm 50, God is saying that the people needed to bring a sacrifice, needed to bring a proper sacrifice to Him, but He wanted to make sure they understood the simple fact that they were, when they brought a sacrifice, in reality, bringing God something that was already His. And so in verse 10 of that poem, David said, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. In part, the Lord was saying that there is nothing that could be brought by any person or any family that the Lord did not already own. But did you notice the emphasis there? The cattle on a thousand hills. Now that's not to say that if you were able to go outside and start counting hills and get to hill number 1001, that the cattle on the thousand and first hill are not God's. That's not the point. In Jewish literature, so often the number 1,000 is used to simply mean everything. It's a completion. It's an overwhelming number. God is saying every head of cattle everywhere belonged to Him. If we don't understand that, the previous phrase made that clear. Every beast of the forest is mine, He says. But did you notice that emphasis on everything? I wish I knew who to give credit to. I've seen this credit to several different people. But some have said that just in case we might miss the point of Psalm 50 and verse 10, maybe we should read it this way. Every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills, and the hills too. I know that's not what it says, but that's exactly what God is trying to get us to understand. That everything that exists is His. But I want you to see this concept also from another psalm. Turn back several pages to Psalm 24, the 24th psalm. Because that poem opens by making this concept as crystal clear as possible. David said in Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2, The earth is the Lord's, 
and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it or created it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The fullness of the earth belongs to God. Consider this. The currency you use, maybe the coins you have in your pocket or your purse, the cards that you carry, the checks that you write, even the phones that you use to tap or to swipe at the store, all of those things are made from something that came from the earth. Now that may be a very, very obvious statement. But if that is true, and the fullness of the earth that belongs to God, then so is the money, the cards, the checks, the phones, whatever it is we use to pay. Even the keyboard we type on to transfer some money from time to time, they ultimately belong to God, because God owns all the earth. Listen to these words from Burton Kaufman. As he was writing about Psalm 24, he wrote this, No man possesses the earth or any portion of it, except in a very limited and accommodative sense. The title deeds which men treasure are merely the written permission of the societies in which they live, conveying the right of use for the brief period of their earthly lives. In fact, all of the earth and everything in it belong to God. And by the way, lest we think that we are above that, David made sure, did you notice in Psalm 24, to even say, those who dwell therein belong to God. In other words, you and I belong to the Lord as well. And that concept is brought over even to the New Testament, where Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning of verse 19, For you are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. We need to remember that everything around us and everything that we have belongs ultimately to God. Haggai 2 and verse 8, the Lord told the people, The silver is mine and the gold is mine. I need to understand that. And I need to live my life through that understanding. I think there are three levels of understanding when it pertains to this concept. If you have a handout, you have them listed there before you. And the key is to move ultimately to the third level. Level one says God doesn't own anything. Now, of course, this could also be the concept that there is no God. But there are some who would say, well, there, there, there's a God out there, but he doesn't, he doesn't really have any control. He, he's not really all-powerful like he claims to be. Hopefully, none of us would fall into that category. But some do. And they, they would claim then that I can use or misuse, even waste anything from creation to the financial realm as I see fit because ultimately I'm in control. That's level one. Level two says that God owns most of creation, but what is mine is mine. And I think a lot of people really fall into this category. Even they might say the right words, but by practice this is where they fall. God, they would say, owns everything in creation, things like trees and planets and wild animals and the mountains and the streams. But when it comes to my money and my possessions, despite what I might say, I don't really believe they belong to the Lord. I certainly don't act as if that's the case, because the first thing I think of is how can I use it to improve me? And then there's level three. And level three says that yes, God owns it all, but also it is all to be used to his glory. From the huge order of space and creation to even things like money and possessions, the mature Christian tries to use all that exists to shine the glory of God in the world. I no longer see anything really as mine, even though I might use those words. I see it as a tool to be used to the glory of God. That's level three, the level of a mature Christian. And it's with that knowledge that God owns it all. 
And with that third level of maturity in mind, that I want to make sure that we turn to the practical side of things. Spending just a couple of moments here, knowing and understanding that it all belongs to God, what difference should that make in my life? And so point number two is simply this. I steward my portion to God's glory. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. There's a verse in that chapter, 1 Corinthians 4, that I don't want to take out of context, but I think it summarizes well the overall idea that I must understand and live by in order to get this concept right. Now, in the context, I understand that Paul is writing about, if you notice verse 1, what he calls the mysteries of God. We're not going to take the time to break the full passage apart, but to put it simply, he's writing about the revealing of the plans of God in the New Testament time. Those things that the people under the Old Testament had wanted to know that were now being revealed. They had been mysteries. They had been hidden, if you want to think of it that way. And now they were becoming a reality. And Paul was writing about the fact that he was one of the ones chosen to reveal those things through his writings and through his preaching. In fact, at the end of verse 4, Paul made it clear that he took this responsibility so seriously by saying, it is the Lord who judges me. Paul is saying, I'm not going to take this flippantly. I'm revealing an eternal message here. I have been chosen to reveal a message hidden for all these years. I know that's the context. But in the middle of that discussion, Paul writes a principle that governs all of our Christian lives. Notice verse 2. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. The old King James uses the word, they be found faithful. There's one modern translation that I like very well in translating verse 2. It words it this way. Now, in this way, those who are trusted with something valuable must show they are worthy of that trust. That's what Paul was trying to say. The word steward is simply a word that means to manage for someone else. Now, again, I know in the context, Paul is writing about holding the word of God, which is of unequaled value, in a way that's worthy. But is that same principle you see in verse 2 not true of the entirety of our Christian life? Whatever has value, especially whatever has value to God, we use to prove ourselves trustworthy to Him, faithful to Him. So the obvious question is, how does that display itself when it comes to things like money, possessions, and finances? It comes across with the understanding that While God does own it all, He has blessed each of us with a portion of His creation to manage or to steward. But above that, He has done it also in a way that I must be faithful with it. All that I have, I do not really have. All that I have is on loan from God. I need to see it as a way to honor Him and bring Him glory. When I understand that concept, would that not make a massive difference in how I handle money and possessions? Just consider a couple of very practical examples. That house that I call my house. When I realize that it's not really my house, but that I'm managing that for the Lord, that's what opens up the world of Christian hospitality. I will try to figure out ways to use my house as a way to shine God's glory? Can I show people Christian friendship, Christian love? It will also make sure that my house, because I'm managing for God, is a place where Satan is not allowed in any form, through entertainment, through temptation and other sinful influences, because I'm managing that place for God. That paycheck that I receive 
each week or each month is no longer to be thought of primarily as my pay. Instead, it's another portion that God is blessing me with to put in my hands to manage and to steward. It may be a small amount by American standards. It may be a significant amount by American standards. But I'm, I'm going to do my best to honor Him, not just with the amount that I bring on Sunday morning and put in an offering plate, but by every decision I make with that amount that He has put in my hands to steward. Every decision. That car that I drive will no longer be some kind of status symbol. It will be a servant mobile. Could I take someone somewhere out of the goodness of a servant's heart? Could I simply drive that car to go visit someone who I see is in need or who is shut in or who needs something? That's what it means when I understand that all that is in my hands is to be stewarded to the glory of God. Those are very simple examples, but that's the mindset change. I manage all that is in my possession, not as if it's really mine, but as if it were ultimately God's, because it is. God is not asking us necessarily to give 100% of what we get or own in a collection plate on Sunday morning. But God is commanding us to be faithful to Him with 100% of everything that He places in our hands to manage to His glory. Whether that's a small amount, a medium amount, or a huge amount. One scholar in writing a book about how Christians should view money, a biblical scholar, wrote these words that I think are very simple but very powerful. He said, God wants you to understand that money by itself is morally neutral and that he, as the ultimate source of it and and all material goods, has distributed all wealth as a stewardship. We all manage God's wealth. Money and possessions then become tests of morality and pose these personal questions. What are you going to do with the wealth you have? And will you pass this crucial and ongoing test of your moral and spiritual life? I think that summarizes it very well. It is seeing everything as placed into our hands by God and how am I going to use it to His glory. And as we continue these lessons the next couple of Sunday nights or so, I pray that all of us will keep this one overriding principle in mind. All that we have is God's and all that we have is to be used to His glory. And that includes our money, our possessions, our finance. But it also includes all of our very lives. I need to make sure that my entire life is being spent, if you please, in the glory of God, to the glory of God, honoring Him with every decision, every relationship, every thought, every word, and every action. It is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy, that they be found faithful, that they be found worthy of trust. Would God say that about you, not just in the area of finances, but in the entirety of your life, that you are being faithful with your time, your talents, your energy, yes, your finances, simply your life? Is it faithful to God? If not, we invite you to come as we stand and sing to encourage you.